Welcome to Sleep Talk Snapshots, bringing you the latest on sleep from around the world. Hi, I'm David Cunnington. Welcome to this Sleep Talk Snapshot, bringing you highlights from day four of the 2016 meeting in Denver. If you're looking for other episodes of the Sleep Talk podcast, you can find them at sleephub.com.au forward slash podcast, in iTunes or other podcast apps, or download the Sleep Talk app from the iOS store. The two topics I want to talk about today are idiopathic hypersomnia and circadian rhythm disorders. With regards to idiopathic hypersomnia, those of us in clinical practice really struggle with both finding an appropriate diagnostic criteria and making an accurate diagnosis, and then managing people who are refractory to treatment. And there's a lot of discussion at the meeting about uh, what the right diagnostic criteria should be. Recognition that the criteria in the International Classification of Sleep Disorders 3rd Edition doesn't really capture the clinical situation perfectly in all situations. And it can also overlap a lot with people having symptoms consistent with narcolepsy type 2 with a lot of overlap with idiopathic hypersomnia symptom. With regards to treatment, We often find people are refractory to treatment with idiopathic hypersomnia and figures quoted were around 50% of people with modafinil not persisting with treatment because of a lack of efficacy and only 30 to 60% of people on dexamphetamine continuing with treatment. So a couple of alternative treatments were discussed by the Emory group. They discussed their paper on clarithromycin that was published in Annals of Neurology in 2015. In that paper they treated 23 people with clarithromycin and reported the results on 20 cases using clarithromycin 500 milligrams twice daily. They didn't show changes in uh, reaction time, but did show subjective measures of sleepiness were significantly improved. People did get gastrointestinal side effects and changes in taste, so it wasn't well blinded, so it is a little hard to know exactly how to interpret that, but nonetheless this may be a helpful agent. They also reported their experience with flumazenil, uh, and 153 patients they treated between 2013 and early 2015. They administered flumazenil with sublingual lozenges or transcutaneous lotion. And 63% of people felt flumazenil would help their sleepiness, dropping the mean Epworth sleepiness score in the group from 15 to 10.3. And 39% of people remained on treatment at the end of the observation period, which was an average of 7.8 months. Interestingly, one of the predictors of clinical response was the presence of significant sleep inertia, with 72% of those with sleep inertia getting a good response versus 42% of those without sleep inertia. The second topic I wanted to talk about today was circadian rhythm disorders. I caught up with my previous mentor from my time at Harvard, uh, Robert Thomas. And like me, he's got a large practice of people with complex circadian rhythm problems, and we really reflected that it's a tricky area to work in. At the moment, we don't have great diagnostic tests to allow us to accurately measure circadian phase. You can do multiple uh, melatonin salivary measurements, but it's pretty cumbersome and there's not very elegant ways uh, of doing it. And it's also an area where we have to be really persistent, as our ability to change the circadian rhythm is often limited, particularly in very complex patients. So that's where Russell Foster's work that I talked about in yesterday's highlights, where he's found that SICK1 may act as a break on the ability to shift the circadian phase, and potentially in the future even SICK1 antagonists may be able to have a shift the circadian phase even faster. There's also some work presented on using light of different varieties, such as even flashing lights prior to waking up, as well as a number of groups working on better bedside tools for us to accurately measure circadian phase. And for me, that's a missing piece in managing a lot of sleep disorders, even including insomnia. 
It's clear from the Ranger Symposia looking at the impact of circadian system on almost all bodily functions that it's really a pervasive symptom that affects performance and health. And one symposium that really brought that home was one that looked at gastrointestinal symptoms and the impact for shift workers. They have to eat at inappropriate circadian times when the body's not ready to receive and metabolise energy. Because of social circumstances, they've got altered access to certain food types and particularly healthy food choices. The changes in sleep can affect their appetite, cravings and feeling of hunger. And also changes with being awake at times when their circadian phase suggests they should be asleep can have poorer metabolic outcomes. For the A to Z of sleeping well, head to the hub, sleephub.com.au. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.